everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea, a certified retirement coach and purposeful living coach. Today, I have a guest who's a friend of mine from the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and his name is John Sanders. John Sanders is an investor, a manager, and an expert for entrepreneurial companies. And today is Thursday, October 8th. It's 2020. This is episode six of season one. So welcome, John Sanders. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Miss Kim. Yeah, it's nice. I think we've known each other peripherally for a while, but now we're starting to cross paths a little bit That's more right. often, even in the pandemic. Yeah. We're involved yeah, so. in, in, in both involved in a, uh, one company and we'll probably be involved in more than one. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I know you have a lot of uh, knowledge and enthusiasm to share and you have a big heart. I've listened to many of your podcasts because you're also a podcaster. I forgot to I'm mention loving that. it. I'm loving it. I tell you. Isn't it fun? You know, you get to talk and you don't care whether anybody's listening or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to talk. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. When I was a little girl, um, a friend of mine was listening to me read a book to her little sister and, and I heard her mutter under her breath. She just likes to talk. She likes to hear the sound of her own voice. And I was kind of insulted, but I guess that's kind of what no, podcasting is. That's, 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 <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. I'm glad to take this time to get to know you a little bit better too and introduce you to the world as well. Thank you. Thanks. So, so John, tell me what your background is. Well, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky in the West End. And um, uh, where the, all the money was in the East End. We were in the West End. And uh, went to the University of Louisville's engineering school, got my bachelor's degree. And then I worked for, went to work for General Electric for a year. Uh, I went to work for them, and then it wound up being a year. Spent the first four months in Owensboro, Kentucky, in receiving tubes, uh, which back in the days of vacuum tubes. And um, okay. then I went to... Uh, Schenectady, New York, for the rest of the year and worked for the large steam turbine generator company or the division. Big. Those are the big generators and big turbines. And I decided two things during that time. Number one, I did not want to be an engineer in a big company all my life. And number two, sure as hell not in upstate New York. It about <laughs> killed me. All right. So I, you know, had all, every stitch of clothes I owned to walk from the Y downtown around the building, building 263, 273. And I'd get there in one of those cold mornings, and it took me half an hour to get all my enough clothes off that I could get warm by the radiator. And uh, <laughs> I decided I can't do this the rest of my life. So after that, I uh, found my way to what's now Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. That's another story of how I wound up there. But uh, uh, another podcast. And uh, got my master's and PhD in electrical engineering. And did work in what, what superconductivity, which is where you put certain metals down in the liquid helium and take them down to near absolute zero, and they become uh, non-resistant to electricity. So you can do a lot of different things. Not as many as we thought 50 years, 50 years ago when I was doing that stuff, but they're still out there and they have transformers and other things, but it's not the panacea that they thought. And then uh, when I got through with the PhD, I said, I don't want to do research and I don't want to teach. So what the hell am I going to do? Unfortunately, one of the guys, one of the guys I lived with, who was ahead of us and uh, the other two, there are three of us, he was ahead of us in finishing his degree, came home one night for our beefaroni dinner and um, uh, said, I've just met the most interesting guy on campus. I was looking at the um, interview poster. And this guy spoke to me, and I turned around. He had a striped coat on, kind of unusual. And it turns out he's the recruiter for the Central Intelligence Agency. And they're out now scouring the country looking for people, number one, for this new division, be a small group, to go into industry and find the new technologies and bring them back to the agency and adapt them and pay contract money, whatever, adapt them for agency use. I said, man, that sounds exactly what I want to do. Exciting. So I wrote a letter to the director of personnel, CIA, and I got a letter back about two weeks inviting me down. And um, so I went down and interviewed with the man that was ultimately my uh, my boss. And uh, after talking to him, I said, God, I'm in love with this. This is this is it. I'll work for nothing. I didn't tell him that. But uh, uh, that night, I remember going downtown in D.C. And standing under the Washington Monument, it was in November, so it was cold, and the wind was blowing, and those all those flags around there were whipping. I'm sure you've been there. If not, go. But um, 
I looked over and there's the Lincoln Memorial. And I looked the other direction. There's the Capitol. There's the Jefferson Memorial. There's the White House. Where else does a young guy want to be but here? So I took that job and started with them. And um, they had to get clearance and everything. I started with them in February as a consultant. And then when I finished my degree in June, why I uh, came on full time. I worked with them for five years. Loved it every minute, but not for 30 years. So uh, at the end of the uh, fifth year, I had run into a uh, man that had his own stock brokerage firm. His small firm was only three or four people. And um, so I joined him in June of 1968. Uh, and, uh, and I just got married to my wife, who were still married, 53 years. Uh, and uh, uh, so that became an exciting 20 years working with him. We did. I did investment for for individuals. I had a lot of agency guys that I like to deal with, and then uh, had the people we had met along the way. In this small firm, we did mostly small companies, over the counter local securities, but we also the big fun was putting together small deals, because companies trying to get organized needed capital. They still do, and so we put together deals of five or ten or fifteen investors at five or ten thousand dollars. The nice thing was I had that money in their accounts. So if it's something they liked, all I'd say was, well, send me a note to transfer the money and I'll just put it in there. And so that's better than having people have to convince them to liquidate something in order to invest. Mm -hmm. So it kind of made things a little easier. During that 20 years, we probably did 50 or 60 deals. And out of them, 10, 10 did pretty well and five did very well. So that's a, that's a good ratio and you got, but you got to hang in there. So uh, there were years when we had ups and downs. Unfortunately, my wife grew up on a farm, so she knew ups and down years. So we lived with it and enjoyed the up years, especially, and even enjoyed the down years. And uh, after 20 years, the last investment I made was in a fledgling newspaper called Washington Technology, which was to deal with the business of tech around the nation's capital, mostly government contracting. So I put some money in that because they'd run out of money just about the time they put published their first issue. So another guy and I put enough in to run it a year. And I became the chairman and CEO of the company. And I did everything but editorial, because the lady that started was great in editorial. I'd known her before. We built that up, and 10 years later, sold it to the Washington Post Company. So at that point, I had nothing to do, because they threw me out. They didn't want me in there. And uh, so now I had money. We had a, a vacation home in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, about 400 miles south. It gives you a nice temperature differential in the winter. Yeah. And um, so, um, and we'd moved downtown to Watergate, had a great apartment, did a lot of parties. Beautiful down there. Loved the Watergate. Ride my bike down around the, the monuments and everything. Walked yeah. to my office, the, the brokerage office, walked to Georgetown five minutes to the waterfront of Georgetown. And we had a great view of the whole city. So, um, at that point, uh, I did some mergers and acquisitions. And then we decided, you know what, it's kind of time to leave D.C. We've had our fun, had our jollies. And these young guys are too competitive. I don't, I don't want to compete with them. So we actually then ready to move. Our children were both in California. One, our son in, in San Francisco and our daughter in L.A. And neither was married. So we weren't going to take a chance of coming out here and forcing them to either move or stay. So we moved to Myrtle Beach and lived there for nine years, had a nice house right on the intercoastal waterway and a boat. So during those nine years, both kids got married. Our son moved south to Carlsbad to work for TaylorMade Golf, and his new wife worked for Thermo Fisher, and our daughter worked for Cisco and worked out of her computer, and her husband was retired military. So life was great. So here we are in Southern California, been here five years and love it. I look right, I look right out on the ocean. That's so nice. Yeah. So anyway, I've since being here, I still love investing in small companies. So I have made investments in six small companies, pretty much startups. And already three or four are doing very well. A couple of them are doing extremely well, as you could expect. And uh, one company this year is going to do over a million dollars in its second year of business. So that's pretty good. Wow. So uh, I'm, I'm, we're, we're still organizing whether I go on the board of directors or whether I'm an official advisor, but we'll, we'll iron that out on each of those companies. But the real thing is I'm, a, I'm there. I've got money. We're going to raise some more money at some point because you always do if you're growing, you're going to run out of money. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to grow a company on earned, on earned income. And um, 
so, in fact, I was just on the uh, call with the Chamber of Commerce today about their 401k plan. You know that the Chamber is sponsoring. They're in front yes. of this plan. Yeah. It's great. I'm going to get all these companies. They've got till June of, June 30 of 2022 to set it up. But if you're five to 40, 49 employees, you have to have a retirement plan by, right. by mid-22. Yeah. And this thing is perfect. It really is. Good. Oh, I'm impressed. So if you're under five like me, you don't have to have any. I've got. My yeah, parents. I'm under five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit less headache to have a smaller company. Yeah. yeah. So what else you want to know? Well, so what is your role? Like, so you're, you're an investor. Um, I've heard the term angel investor. Would you say that that? I never have you? liked that term. Okay. I'm a hobby investor. Nobody uses that term. It's a hobby. Okay. Right. And better than taking a stupid vacation, we've been, Carol and I have traveled everywhere we want to travel. Back last year, we went to India and Egypt and that cleaned the list. So, um, and had our eyes, uh, cataracts removed. So we're ready for the next 20 years, but we're lucky we don't have to travel. We've done everything. In fact, we get all these travel brochures and I look through them, been there, been there, been there, been there, been there, been there, there. don't want to go there. (laughs) <laughs> and so we can't find any place we want to go, certainly not international. So, um, uh, but my role in the companies is uh, just to just to give them my experience as we go and help make decisions based on my experience and uh, my knowledge, which tends to be pretty good. And, uh, you know, you've seen that commercial of, um, of uh, Farmers Insurance where he says, we know a lot because we've seen a lot. Yes, that's me. That's you. I've seen it all. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing new that's happening. It changes a little bit, but uh, the numbers are different, but the the, the, the problems are the same. And um, in fact, uh, you know, I wrote my book about 30 years ago. That's on my website, John said, Parables Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Yep. And I wrote that because uh, I had started giving these little parables going along because we interviewed a lot of people about deals. Because every broker in D.C. was not allowed to do these sorts of things because there were New York Stock Exchange in those days, a lot more rules on them. So they'd send them to us. So I considered myself the garbage can of the town. So we'd get everything that nobody else do, knew what to do about. And we'd interview them and we'd, you know, we'd interview 100 to find five we were interested in. And of the five, we'd pick one to do something. So I had to give my kind of standard pitch to all these guys because I didn't want to go in the second level unless they believed that they, that what I thought and the way we do it was the way they were interested in doing it. And um, so uh, one day I'm doing that and I finish a phone call and our cashier, the only non-broker in there, there was only four of us in this big bullpen. So Irv comes over and he says, I'm so tired of hearing that story. I said, you know, Irv, I'm tired of telling it. I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book and make people read it before I'll talk to them. So I outlined it all and uh, got out on my back deck in a hammock with a tape recorder, good old tape recorder of the old days, because this was like uh, 86, 87. And uh, I just started telling the stories as if I were talking to somebody. I said, this is easy. So I uh, took the recording and I gave it to a small company I had an investment in that did uh, court reporting, court recording. And so if you ever heard a court court transcript of of a, Everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh, they, they put it all down. Everything. All there. And so it came back with all the uhs and the ahs and everything else like that. And I looked at it and I said, I can't deal with this. So fortunately, I just read an article by a guy that uh, on uh, John Templeton. John Templeton, big investor. The Templeton funds are still around. He's long dead. He was in Bermuda, but he was a big Christian. And he did a lot of religious stuff, but he did uh, charity. And he was very wealthy. And I said, boy, this guy's got the gist of John Templeton. This is a great article. And I looked down at the bottom and it said, James Snyder, Snyder and Associates, McLean, Virginia. And I said, man, he's right in my neighborhood. I'm going to get this guy to do my book. So I called him up and said, I got a project for you. And I went out. We made a deal. And he took all my stuff and really made a good book out of it. It's, it's me when you read it. And he added the last chapter, which was good because it kind of put it all together. And... Um, I've lived with it for 30 some years and finally got it on the internet because this was pre-internet. And, um, uh, cause I figured that's how I'll distribute it. Don't want to sell it. I mean, I will, but I'm not, I'm too lazy. And, uh, 
then uh, uh, recently, I trans—I actually did the chapter by chapter and read it. So you go on my website, you can pull it down and read it and tear it up if you want, or you can listen to me. And then you get another, there's another 15 podcasts on there too. So it's been fun doing the podcast. And in fact, John Beaton's company is now Heard Not Seed Media Inc. And I'm an investor in it. Yeah, you're you're really helping a lot, a lot of people, which is really neat. And and you seem to get a lot of enjoyment out I of love it that. too. That's, why it's a hobby. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about how things you've like, basically you've seen everything. You're like farmers. You've seen it. You know a few things because you've seen a few things. Yeah. And I have listened to your podcast and um, I had spoken to you about this particular episode that I had heard before. And it's interesting because it kind of echoes what you're saying that there's nothing really new, but you had talked about the music man, mm-hmm. the musical, the music man, and you were able to tie that into business. And it was really, really brilliant how you recognize what a, what a perfect, I guess, would you say a metaphor it is for sales? He's the, he's the, the ultimate salesman. He was the ultimate, the classic salesman. And I don't know if you, the, uh, had you seen the music man before? Yes. I've seen it a few times. And then after I heard your podcast, I bought it so we could watch it here at the house yeah. because it is, it's such an enjoyable. Musical. I love it. And at the end, when they get that 76 trombones, you got to, it, it chills up and down your back. Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat, but there's so many lessons in it as you were pointing out yeah. and, it's I enjoy that you can see these these things and, and you do have a lot of stories in your in your uh, podcast. Yeah. I haven't read the book yet. I'm sorry, but I, I've listened to your podcast and you have all these little stories in there and anecdotes that anybody can relate to and understand what principle you're trying to teach. Yeah. Well, I love doing that. And uh, so that's the engineer in me. You look for something and you kind of categorize it and then then you take it and do things with it. Yeah, I, I could see where you'd be very popular with people who are coming to work with you because you made something easy to understand. Yeah. I try to. You first yeah. try to understand it yourself, though. And usually it comes from losing money. Mine and mm. other people's. <laughs> that, that makes sense. They say you learn more from your failures than your successes. So. Well, you know, I have a I, one of my podcasts um, is actually an article I wrote a, a number of years ago. Um, back in the 90s, I was on the advisory board for the federal laboratory consortium, which was the people in the federal labs that were there to do tech transfer, take their transfers and put them out in the industry. And they just started doing that as a new law that actually allowed them to get commissions from moving the trans from the moving the the, uh, technology. And um, so uh, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, the point I was going to make, I've already got off on another tack, but uh, Hmm was, um, I'll think of it in a minute. I'm getting old. Uh, we all do this. When you're talking to people and you get excited, you <laughs> doubling back. The, uh, oh, the, the point was at the end, I said the problems of success are hard to define. The problems of failure are easy to determine. Mm. So when you're successful, the problems are hidden because everybody's going along and you're making money and you don't have any crisis. You know, it's, it's so when you have a crisis that all the crap comes to the top. And if you don't have a crisis, then you don't see these things. And all of a sudden, a crisis occurs and they all come out. And that's why companies get in deep trouble when the money starts running out or something else. Because now people, the real people come out. And the real adversity among among the, the employees. Same thing in a marriage. When, when there's a problem, then all the bad stuff comes out. And uh, the... Uh, uh, fortunately, we haven't had any bad stuff in ours. We I had like each that. other a little bit here and there, but nothing big. So, that's nice. Yeah. So um, uh, that's uh, that's that's a problem because it, the key is, and I tell people because our last podcast Monday I did with John, he said, "Now here's the podcast. What are the three most important lessons you've learned in all of this years of business?" Hmm. And I said, "That is easy." I said, number one is um, to have fun in what you're doing and hire people that also have fun and deal with customers that have fun. Because if you're not having fun, it won't be successful. And therefore, by all means, do something you're good at because then you can have fun with it. I said, the second thing is positive cash flow. If you can't get a business to positive cash flow, You'll never be successful because you're always under the gun and time is working against you. 
So you always want time on your side. And I said, the third thing is reserves. Always have reserve capital. Whether you're a human being or a company, you've got to have money for two things. Because they coached for um, many years for the Texas Longhorn football game, football team, Daryl Royal, defined, he said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So you're always prepared for an opportunity and you have to be prepared for it. But if you don't have capital, you don't have any flexibility. And so your best deals come along when everybody else is out of money and you've got money. And Warren Buffett says the same thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not alone in that. So um, the, uh, but that was the podcast we did the other day. And I said, those are the three principles I harp on all the time because when I was in graduate school, I was not the top dog. Uh, I, I was good in, in undergraduate. I got to graduate school and my mathematics, I wasn't prepared for the mathematics at Carnegie Mellon because they were in the research and in super in, in materials, semiconductors and in uh, antennas and stuff, neither of which you can see anything. The electrons you can't see, the, uh, the wave magnetic waves you can't see. It's all mathematics. It's the only way you understand those kinds of technologies. And, um, so I, they were way ahead of me and they're and much more disciplined in their math. Ours was a, University of Louisville was a practical engineering school. I don't want to call it a handbook engineering school, but not far off. And um, so I remember going into my uh, thesis advisor one day, a good practice. That's a whole other story. I got to him because he had told me when I first went to talk to him, he says, you know, I only get the best students and you're not one of them. But he said, I got a plan for you. If you're interested, I like you. He says, um, I've got one student in superconductors because I can take all my old magnetic amplifier thesis and redo them with superconductors because there's similar traits in the intermediate state for whatever that means. Don't worry about it. And uh, uh, he said, so go talk to Tom. And if you're interested, then my suggestion is you get a summer job in superconducting somewhere. Then you come back in September and say, Finzi, you need me. I know more than you do about super. <laughs> Somehow I lucked on this job at RCE Research Labs. I still don't remember how I did it. But uh, another guy and I went over there and spent the, spent the summer, and I worked in superconducting computer memories. So I get back to Carnegie Mellon. I go into Finzi. I say, Dr. Finzi, this is what I did this summer. And as you told me, I know more than you do. <laughs> so... So he says, well, did you meet so-and-so? I said, no, I didn't meet him, but I knew of him. He said, he's, I said he was up two levels above me. He said, well, he's one of my students. I'll call him. So he calls me back and says, they said you did very well. So we'll, we'll do stuff. So I was out of there in three years. So it was, uh, it was great. But I went in to see him one day. And the same guy I was telling about that met the CIE recruiter uh, was taking Russian because he, that would be one of his foreign language. You have to pass foreign languages in still did. I don't know whether you do now or not. You had to have two foreign languages. In Carnegie Mellon Electrical Engineering, one of them was French, Spanish, or computer programming. And the other one was German or Russian. So you pick one of each of those categories. So he was taking Russian. I, I sloughed through my German. I got a P minus, which Dr. Williams loved. He said, no one should make more than a P minus. If you do, you're wasting your time. But so I went in to see Finzi and I said, uh, I'm going to audit Russian. He said, why are you doing that? I said, well, all these new articles, you know, this Russians had sent up Sputnik. They were ahead of us, this doing space stuff. He said, let me, let me give you a piece of advice. Get your degree, then learn what you want to. You're here to get a degree. You're not necessarily here to learn anything. And that's what I tell companies. Get, hmm. profit, get positive cash flow, then do what you want to do. Don't start off doing stuff that you're going to run out of money before you finish the job. So one of my parables is about, said, I said, only the Pope could finance the Sistine Chapel. And I have, as I said, there's probably one day when the Pope Julius went into the Sistine Chapel and there's Michelangelo on his back painting those frescoes up on the ceiling. And he says, Mike, come down. I got something to tell you. So Mike climbs down and he says, sorry to tell you, but the money runs out in three weeks. Get the job done. I said, I bet there's one corner of that Sistine Chapel where those frescoes are about four times the size of the other of the rest of it. Or Mike <laughs> has to finish the job before they run out of money. And I said, 
And when you start start a company and you're developing a product, there's never an end to developing a product. It always needs more. And the product developers, if they don't have the money constraints, they're always expanding it. And you never get the thing done. We have the problem here at Carlsbad by the Sea with their big projects. They get it 80 or 90% done and then it stalls. The phone system, new phone system was supposed to be in a year ago. They're still diddling around with it. Other things like that. And that happens too many things because you're not under pressure. So if you don't have positive cash flow, you're going to run out of money. Or you're going to have to stop the job. And if you stop the job, there's no, there's no measure on the quality of management. Because managing a product is easy. You just spend money. Product development. When you're running a company, you got to have the comes in to exceed the goes out. Always got to have more money coming in than other than going out, or you're going to run out of money unless you got a big bank account. So those are some of my stuff. You've got a little bit of the taste of how I deal with uh, people. So what else did you want to know? You said something about retirement. Well, yeah, that's uh, I'm a retirement coach, and so I'm I'm listening to you, and I'm fascinated because you're doing the things that I would advise people to do who are coming in. A lot of people, when they retire, they don't really know what they want to do or how they're going to go about it. And um, then they get depressed because they don't, they're kind of adrift and they, they've lost the definition of themselves that they got from work and the benefits they got from work. And by benefits, I mean, social connections and intellectual stimulation. And you're keeping all that going, which is really, I'm really I have more fun than ever. Yeah, I can tell. And it's the really thing nice. Is, is that if I run out of something to do, I just walk out my door and the beach is right there, and I walk the beach. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. You're getting your exercise. You, you've written. You're talking to people. You're very involved in the Chamber of Commerce, yep. so you've got a lot of social things going on. And probably where you live, you're involved, too. With Well, we can't so much now. The COVID is – we don't – we can't we, – our dining room's closed. Yeah. We, we have exercise, but only two of us in the, in the exercise room at a time. So you do a little bit, and you meet people. But we're in the Ocean Building, so we don't see the people that often. Yeah, Most right often, now. Yeah. Yeah, but you're also staying relevant. You know, sometimes older people will not learn new technology and then they're really quite isolated. And and in this pandemic, people have learned they really have to learn how to use things like Zoom and stay connected to people, a cell phone, whatever it takes just to stay connected to other people because you don't want to be stuck in your apartment or your house all by yourself. You cut, well, cut off. You- I'm the chairman of the Resident Association Technology Committee. We started about three years ago promoting the Alexa in the apartments and with the, the folks, especially those that are on by themselves. And it's a great tool. I mean, you can have it turn on the lights. You can have it give you. If you've ever done it, you can sit there and talk to the tour. And she has mm-hmm. all kinds of answers. She knows everything. And uh, she'll talk back to you. She'll wake you up in the morning. She'll play the music you want, do all kinds of stuff. And what I found is, what we found is that there's, see, when you got engineers, engineers are early adopters. We'll go out and try anything. So mm-hmm. engineers are the easiest ones to get started. They'll do it automatically. Then you have a few that they get convinced and try it. Then you have about 20% of us old folks that don't want to try anything. No matter how good, no matter how what it is, just leave me alone. I'm happy in my stupor. Just get out of here, right? They have no interest in, in doing something new. I don't know whether that's going to continue or whether people gradually try new stuff. And um, so then we introduced, then we have here, uh, we started a program called the CBTS, Cars Bad by the Sea, Concierge. And it's a, it's a program on computer and it's also on your uh, smartphone. And you can order dinners because now we no longer have uh, the meals in the dining room. So now mm-hmm. you deliver. And uh, order meals. You can uh, order. Uh, uh, t- they have certain takeouts you can do. You can order transportation. You can order just about everything. You can do everything nice. that you normally filled out a piece of paper for. You now do. Order. You know, I don't know what the percentage of that uses, but it's still a high percentage. And uh, it's a little more complicated because you got to figure out different steps. But people are getting into it. So we're running out of projects. I don't want to come up with another one because then you have to promote it and cajole people and everything else like that. But we're pretty advanced here. And in fact, uh, the management, uh, this is owned by Front Porch, which has 13 mm-hmm. of these. They're based in Glendale. And the, the CEO of Front Porch is impressed with what we're doing. 
and he was out there all over the country talking about how Carlsbad by the sea does this and that and so forth and technology yeah. committee, how they've done. So we finally got to the point where us volunteers don't want to do all this uh, maintenance we have to do for people when they, this doesn't work and that doesn't work and they need this sure. help. So I called him up one day and I said, all right, this is my hate call of the year. You've been promoting <laughs> us all over the country as to how great we are. Now you've got to support us. All this technology is in here. You've got to put a person down here that does nothing but service the residents. And guess hmm. what? We got it. He's doing a great I job. I believe it. So I'm out, well, of, I'm out of the maintenance business. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because we need you in other places. So. Yeah. Got to, I'm that's looking good. for something else to do. No, I'm not. I'll find another company. Yeah, you 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 keep talking to people. You'll find another I'll company. Find another company. They're all over the place. Yeah, uh, you did a podcast recently about your charity, yeah. and I found it very interesting how you select your charities and and that you're really trying to be impactful with your with your dollars, and you're really trying to make a difference within the charity. The right. charity is already trying to make a difference, but you're trying to make a difference for them. Yeah, which I thought was really a nice attitude, good way to go about helping other people? Well, uh, number one, uh, business and charity are diametrically opposite because business is out to make money and charity is out to do good. Mm -hmm. Because if the business isn't making money, they don't stay around. If the charity doesn't do good, they don't stay around. The, the fundamental the similarity is, though, that business needs charity because if you don't have a good environment to do business in, you can't do business. So you have to have a good area. You can't have everything falling apart. You've got to have a stable environment. Otherwise, you can't do business. You can't get good employees. You name it. Everything doesn't work. And uh, so I'm a great believer in charity. I always have been. I grew up, my mother was Southern Baptist. I grew up tithing and all that sort of stuff. So he's yeah. in my blood. And um, uh, I also did a lot of volunteer work. I was, a, I was in a Salvation Army band. I played clarinet. Really? Yep. What did you play? Huh? What did you play? Clarinet. Oh, how cool. Yeah. I also played the piano, but I played the clarinet in the Salvation Army Band for a summer. And nice. uh, that was really fun. And um, so, but uh, my point is, is that when I do charity, I do not like the community chest or the, uh, or the uh, Red Cross. I don't like, I, I just don't contribute to them. It's not, I'm not a big deal for that. Uh, if there's a special project that's needed, I might donate to that. But generally, that goes in a big pot, and that's for the big companies. I like to find projects in there to support. So back in Myrtle Beach, I supported the robotics programs in the high schools mm -hmm. and helped start a uh, technology um, day. In fact, the new superintendent I went to, and I said, because I was, I'd started a technology council, technology companies, to promote technology around the community, around the area. The Grand Strand, we called it, because Myrtle Beach was mostly uh, tourism. But they, they were doing, they had a couple of good schools there, and they were beginning to develop a technology cadre. So uh, I went to the new superintendent, and I said, have you ever had a science day? She said, no, we didn't have a science day. We had technology days. I said, now you hit it. You know what's going on. Science is out there. That's not what kids want. They want, they want technology that's practical. So we started the technology day, and the first year, we had probably 150 kids out of the Horry County Schools, the county, that participated. And we had all the way from like third grade through high school. Oh, cool. Probably a, a hundred different projects. And we had this one auditorium, and we used it. And people loved it, and the kids especially loved it. And what was especially fun was the little second and third graders could go talk to the high school students because they, they were in the same, you know, you're in the same business. And the high school students would take the time because they looked at these little kids and said, God, if they're doing this now, what are they going to do when they get into high school? They'll eat their lunch, which is true. And so uh, by the time I left Myrtle Beach, there was doing 1,200 students. Oh, my. And the daily sign took the whole convention center. And uh, all kinds of projects and good robotics programs. Robotics is big. So when I moved here, I started, I met the lady that does robotics at Kelly Elementary School, which is right down the street. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I supported them. I put several thousand bucks in so they could get the right equipment and do stuff. 
and the kids, they got little kids. Kindergarten now, doing robotics through Lego robotics it is great. They watch these kids. So they learn the practicalities of math and science, technology, and all of a sudden they become converts into it instead of being passive. The second thing is they learn teamwork. You know, when you did you ever take science in school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. You always had a partner for your science project, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's what technology does. You cannot have all of the knowledge yourself. And that was the big thing that made our newspaper successful was government contracting. You had to spread the contract out. If you got a prime contract, you had to have a lot of subs to have the good stuff done by the best people. So they that's where they found the info was from our newspaper. So that's the same thing. And, and robotics teaches teamwork. When we when I first started working with them, it was all, all boys. Pretty soon, the girls began to infiltrate, generally in a passive role. And pretty soon, the girls are running the projects. They're 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 managing. They're the team team captains, or they take charge of raising the money and that kind of stuff. They do the the tough stuff, and it's really impressive. The girls are equally tough, and especially in science and technology. For a while, when when I was in engineering school, we had no women in the in school. A senior year, we had one or two. By, the, by about 15 years ago, it got up to where about 23, 25% of engineering students were women. Now it's back down to under 15%. I think a lot of it's because they go to computer science, which is separate from engineering. And uh, I used to take my daughter to the trade shows, show her all the, how the women were so involved in all this stuff. And then... Uh, she started engineering school, but it interfered with her soccer. She was better at soccer than she was at engineering. So engineering went by the wayside, and she played soccer all the way through Duke. It was the first women's varsity team. Wow. Tough guy. That's progressive there. Yeah, she was tough. So, um, um, well, I can't tell a story. But the, she played She played on um, a uh, uh, played in, against high school students on a summer traveling team. So she comes really? back to her age group. I guess she was probably 12 or 13. Jeez. And she was a center fullback, you know, guarding the, the goal. And so one of the first games she's at, this young guy from the other team comes roaring down the right side of the field, goes right into her. Next thing there's a little scuffle. The girl falls down and the ref comes over, takes Elena aside and didn't give her a yellow card. So after the, after the game, I said, what did he say? He said, you know, you've been playing with 17 and 18-year-olds. You're now back playing with 12 and 13 year olds. You got to play what you play. You can't rough it up like you did in that. Next time you do it, I'm going to give you a red card and take take you out. (laughs) She said, uh, I won't use her exact words, but she says, uh, that girl comes down and thought she could take me down. And I just knocked the crap out of her. So she (laughs) she used a different word, but um, I learned that girls in the soccer, in the locker room are just like boys, you know? Yes, they are. So we became equals at the time. So anyway, the soccer was very good for her. And uh, our son played baseball in high school, not in college. He went to Clemson. We went, so we went visiting when he was a senior in high school. We visit, he got accepted in three or four schools. I used to tell him, you did not use all the genes I passed on to you. You know, you, you should be doing better, but you're doing okay. So he would come home from school, even in the third or fourth grade, and he'd say, I don't like that teacher. That meant he was going to get a C in that course, maybe mm-hmm. a D. He didn't care. He'd come back, I love that teacher. He had an A. I mean, huh. I could tell what the grade was going to be when it first started. Anyway, um, we go down to Atlanta, and the first school we went to was Auburn. That's about 100 miles east of uh, Atlanta or southeast in Alabama, of course. And we were there about 15 or 20 minutes, and both of us decided if you didn't grow up in Alabama and you weren't going to live in Alabama, Auburn was not the school for you. Mm. So we went back through Atlanta over to Clemson in South Carolina, and we get there totally different environment because half of their students are out of South, not from South Carolina. And the thing that impressed me most, the whole campus slopes down toward Death Valley, which is a big football field. So that school revolves around still revolves around football. They're number one the last couple of years. So he loved that. So that that was where he went and it was great. He got a good education, doing fine now. So managing the call center at TaylorMade Golf, managing a portion of it. So anyway, he doesn't make much money, but he has a lot of fun. They play golf all the time. How fun. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. 
Fortunately, yes. his daughter-in-law brings in more of the money. His wife brings in more of the money. It's a good arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a progressive person, so that's not an issue. I wouldn't imagine. No, not an yeah. issue. That's great. So anyway, uh, what else you want to know about retirement? How I slid into retirement easily. Well, I could see why. But so give, give me some advice. Give me some advice about how you did it so other people who are listening could figure out how they did it. How, how did well, you do it? Uh, well, I'll tell you. Uh, except for the last four years of running the newspaper, I never had a salary after I left the government. I was always on commission. You don't sell. You don't hustle. You don't make money. And I loved it. So I was always out there promoting and always looking for new stuff and looking for deals, but also looking for new clients. And therefore, retirement was not just a switch thrown. It was sort of eased into it, you know, as you kind of back off a little bit. Obviously, I don't work as hard now as I used to. And uh, uh, it. Uh, so I, I remember my, uh, my dad was Jewish. And his cousin, cousin, um, I'll think of it in a minute, that ran the ran a big appliance store in Louisville. And my dad came home one day. He worked for the city government. He was a chief engineer for the city of Louisville. And so one day he comes home and he says, this talk to Clifford, his name, talk to Clifford. And Clifford told me, he says, he's retired. He sold his business. And he tells me, if you like Saturday, you're going to love retirement. Because all it is is a bunch of Saturdays, and that's what it is around here. Every day is Saturday. It's hard to it's hard to keep track of what day it is, except we have so many things going on. Not only here, especially when we're doing stuff, we're not doing as many events here. This place has events. It had programs, all kinds of stuff. So, in fact, our daughter-in-law says that she has to make an appointment two weeks in advance to, to two weeks in advance to find a time to meet with us. <laughs> so. Um, Anyway, uh, when, when, as I said, the last four years of having the newspaper, I paid myself a salary. And then when we sold the newspaper, I was back to doing mergers and acquisitions and finding a lot of the companies that we had done, that we had promoted at the newspaper had a trust in me. So they let me help them strategize their deal to sell because a lot of them were now reaching up a point where selling was the best thing to do. So I did that for a while and then I still look for new companies to invest in because that's really my first love. That's my hobby. And your hobby. It's, I've always got something to do. It's uh, it. I've never considered retirement anything other than doing stuff a different way. So would that be some advice you'd tell people is to be busy, get involved? Find a hobby, especially if it deals with making money. Because hmm. you can go to the bank with your scorecard. I like it. You don't. You I don't like, just win at the game. You go. You go to the take the scorecard to the bank. So I like that. You have a lot of tenacity. Well, the other thing was I was able to make enough money that money is not a problem, and um, I mean more money is always better than less. But uh, making money really is in these deals is a scorecard. It's not a necessity anymore, and I don't invest enough to make a big dent in my portfolio. That's another mm. thing. You never want to get too deep in anything where your lifeblood is, surround, is surrounded by. Yeah, because you got to live. So you don't want to lose your security. Yeah. I would guess. So anyway, yeah. I have enough money that if I don't make any money, I can live here another 40 years. Nice. Well, I hope you do. I hope you do. No. <laughs> no, you don't want to live another 40 years. No. No. no you I don't. can feel things going downhill, but mentally I'm just as sharp and, uh, uh, physically, I'm not, and uh, I certainly ought to lose the same 20 pounds I've been trying to lose for 30 years. Yeah. What else? Well, how, do you mind telling how old you are? 82. 82. So, and you you are, you're going strong. Yep. And 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 uh, you're very admirable in the way that you're going about everything. It's Well, I love helping people too, And uh, but I want to deal, I really want to deal with people that are out to build a company. That's my, that's the kind of people I really enjoy working with. And uh, because all my experience goes into helping that go. And and uh, so um, I've got, well, I'll, I'll tell you what kind of companies I've got. I've got John Beathard, who does, does our podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you work with you work with him on the podcast or you do your own? Uh, this one is my own, yeah. So uh, anyway, he's going to do great. 
we had a meeting yesterday with an accounting firm that I'm also an investor in called Big Picture Results. Name is, and she just joined the chamber, so you'll be meeting her. And uh, one of my favorites is um, is um, uh, Elaine Swan. I don't know whether you've met Elaine. Dynamo, young black lady. 50, she's early in her 50s. She looks like she's 20. And she's got a company called um, uh, uh, what does she do? She does uh, uh, etiquette. The Swan School of Protocol and Etiquette. Oh, I saw that. I yeah. saw that was Welcome to the Chamber. That sounded yeah. very interesting. Yeah, and she is. Did. And she does, she does speak. She also, she was an airline stewardess for 10 years. So she meeting people is no big deal for her. And, um, and smiling. She's got a great smile. And um, so she does a lot of interviews on NBC, CBS, all these. Dr. Oz had her on several times. And uh, they're really going after now, but how to pro- what's the protocol for all of this COVID stuff? And as it comes off of it, what's your protocol? So she's got, uh, she talks a lot about that, but her school is uh, set up. So we've got courses for young people, for kids, young people, teenagers, and business. And she's hired now by a lot of business to come in and teach their new employees how to act at a, in a conference, how to act at the table how to act on the phone, all this sort of stuff that isn't taught anymore. And they don't learn it at home. And so they got to learn it on the job. And we now developed online courses. So she's doing more and more online and she's getting some good speaking engagements. In fact, I was out there yesterday or the day before. And uh, we're, uh, in fact, we're, we're setting up a program because we've got one company that has a charity, companion charity, and they wanted to donate it. So you can't donate directly to a for-profit company for your own benefit. So we're, we're now got a program with the North County African-American Women Association, which is a 501c3. You put the money in there and then they will pay Swan School to teach, pay for the courses for kids or whatever. And I think this is going to be a, a good addition to the portfolio. So now you can take your courses for 49 bucks. And uh, you can go on her on her uh, website, Swan School. I think that's just what it is. Yeah, I'll check it out. What and uh, see, see her list of courses, and we're going to be expanding on them too. Okay. And she just gets up, and you turn the camera on, and Elaine just blossoms out. She is really phenomenal. In fact, I met her because we were at a um, at a, um, a session of uh, of the um, Google's. Uh, Smart, smart, uh, smart entrepreneur, whatever it is. And uh, Google sponsors it. They're kind of dormant right now. But I went there, the local one, it was at Dave and Buster's in their meeting room. And Elaine was a featured speaker. I never met her. I'm in the audience. And as she talked, I said, this woman has got it. And I asked her a question. I said, do you have any investors in your company? She said, no. I said, well, let's talk afterwards. I made an investment that night. I said, this woman's got it. She will be a winner, and uh, she's going to be. So we got that one, and then that's, what else have I got? Uh, I've got a two a new one. You familiar with Go Be Rewarded? Yes, I'm yeah. familiar with them. Yeah. Oh, you were there the other day, weren't yeah. we? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Very, very impressive. He's going to do a million dollars this year. Nice. Yep. Yeah, it was an impressive operation. And he's got great people, and uh, uh, the. Um, uh, and so I own eight and a half percent of his company. That's the kind I like around 10%. Don't want too much. Cause then I got to work too hard. It cuts into your golf time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I week off a couple times a week. Yeah. Oh, that, kills all, that kills pretty much all day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you can do it year round. So it's uh nice to have that freedom. You can do it year round. Well, you we could do it year round in Myrtle beach too. So, um, okay. So you're used to that. Anything else? No, I thank you for your time so much. And John, I'm going to put your contact information in the show notes. So you have your website, johnsanders.com. Um, and they can find out about your book, Parables for Entrepreneurs. You can also listen to it on his podcast. And I will attach the link to the podcast as well. And you'll really enjoy it because John's voice is John's personality coming through very clearly. And it's, it's a likable guy. So I think you'll enjoy that very much. Well, you're all right. I like you, especially like your conclusions. 
Oh, <laughs> it's an easy conclusion to come to. You're yeah. a nice guy. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, John. And thank you for inspiring everybody with what you do. And for Let me know when this one's online, would you? I will let you know. I'll send you a link. And, and I appreciate okay. that you're inspiring other people and that you're doing such good for the community. Good. Thank you, ma'am. I'll see you Take soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this latest version of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have some things to take away, some thoughts that you can use to apply towards bettering your own retirement. Do you need any help with your retirement, whether you have started or if it's something that's in your rearview mirror? I'm happy to help you out. I am a certified retirement coach, and I'd love to talk to you about how to make your experience in retirement more meaningful and fulfilling for you on a daily basis. Do you know anybody you think I should be interviewing on this podcast? If you know someone who's really hitting it out of the park in their retirement years or they've had to overcome some particularly interesting challenges to get where they are, At this point in their lives, I'd love to talk to them. You can contact me on the homepage of my website. Scroll all the way down to the bottom where it says contact me, and that's how you can get me the information. The address for my website is retirementpurposecoach.com. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for allowing me to use their song, Will You Stay With Me? And the link for that song is in the show notes of this podcast. You could go look them up. They've got some really great music. This has been Kim Shea with Pivot and Thrive. And thank you for spending your time with me. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Be sure to live your life with purpose every day and you'll find that you're much happier. Because of you.